Hi there, this is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners. Welcome to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast series, where we feature leading practitioners and thinkers across connected industry and the broader technology landscape. Good day. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner at Momenta Partners with another episode of our Momenta Edge podcast. And today we have a special guest, Dan Yarmuluk, who's uh, Director of IoT for AETK Technologies. Uh, Dan and I have been uh, in conversation for uh, for quite a while uh, about IoT, connected industry, uh, advanced technologies. Dan's a, uh, a super thoughtful Writer and blogger, uh, he's got a he's got a podcast on uh, uh, Verda.ai, which I definitely recommend checking out. And we're gonna we're gonna dive in and discuss some uh, some some topics that are that are of, of mutual interest to, uh, to 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 us and and our, our our listeners. So Dan, it's it's great to talk to you, and thanks for doing this. Yeah, and I mean, I can't believe it's been about probably like over a year, maybe a year and a half since we, you know, met each other on social media, started swapping stories and conversations, and again, ubiquitous communication, right? It's pretty cool. It, it is. I uh, know it is pretty amazing because you find, you know, all these, uh, all these, all these smart people in uh, in cyberspace. So, um, so I think we'll be super helpful. Uh, and Dan, you and I have, have, have talked a bit about this, but love to get a, uh, a bit of background. Can you share what's, you know, what has shaped your view of IoT, and, and uh, just share a little bit of your, a, a, a little bit of your, uh, your experience, and, and kind of what's brought you to be interested in, in connected industry. Well, you know, if you really go back philosophically, you know, I. I Originally, you know, born in Canada till age 11 to a, you know, Canadian father, American mother. So, and then at 12, I moved to the United States. And um, after that, I studied abroad for a number of years and, and, and worked and lived in, in Europe and, and later in Asia. So I had a very, a very kind of global view. I mean, as, as a foundational thing in my, my journey. But then in recent years, I mean, I, I settled in Minneapolis and um, I'm around a, a, a Midwest view of the world. Or it's kind of like, as you know, the what is it, Missouri, the show me state, they want proof points and, uh, and value. And um, also here is a very hardware centric um, community of, of Medtronic medical devices in Minneapolis, as well as Honeywell and connected people. So there is a very smart Midwest engineering community. Um, uh, so that, that has shaped my background. Uh, and one other thing, I mean, about 10 years ago, I started selling components, specifically lithium batteries, when that was, was taking off with, you know, mobile devices. So when I was designing in uh, lithium batteries, I was around other sensors, you know, and it was the first connected product before I really kind of knew what it was, like a telematics product or, you know, a tracking device on an ATM machine or before it was an app, they had a golf GPS for golfers. And I was designing those inside. I was starting to get around like the idea of how many hundreds of thousands of devices could be connected through those lithium battery cells. So that, you know, both location, industry, and, and kind of perspective is, is what shapes my view. Oh, that's great. So, so you've got a background in, uh, in, in technology and uh, you know implementation, but I, it, yeah, it's 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 an it's a an interesting perspective that you know there is there are you know real you know geographic uh, differences in the IoT or connected industry communities. I mean, it's 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 pretty clear that uh, you know what's going on in Germany or Bavaria is very different from you know what's happening in in Asia. But uh, you know, how, can, can you talk a bit about that? You know, what's you know what is the unique uh, perspective that you know that, that uh, informs the way really the way you look at the industry and, and you know how you know the the environment where you're working is is, is shaping that. 
Okay, so there's two aspects here. I mean, you know, when you're in the Midwest, you know, ATEC has an industrial condition monitor in place, so you can think of it as a small, scrappy startup, you know, but but funded or capitalized by manufacturing guys that have been doing it for decades. So here, the the industrial IoT buyer is like mining, pulp and paper, power, oil and gas. It's all process and. If you can imagine in the Midwest that, you know, obviously manufacturing is conservative by nature, and then the Midwest is conservative by nature. Um, so there's, you know, there's there's no easy adopters, not early adopters, and, and you got to provide value. And so you have to think about the whole value chain from, from product or analytics all the way through and be very empathetic with the, with the customer journey. But, you know, along my way, I was like this kind of integrator guy, an MBA type of sales or, or strategic sales person. And I just fused it Ed, in the last few years with, with a data science master's, just not to really code, but really to understand what, how we can leverage this technology and these business models. So I suffered through the code and the mathematics going back to do that master's at four years old, you know, but it, it has served me well to give me a view of what is possible and, and, and trying to connect the dots, so to say. So it'd be great to get a sense of, of you know, some of the challenges. I mean, as you've, uh, you know, on projects that you've worked at and, and worked on, and, and also as you've watched the industry evolve over the past decade or so. Uh, you know, what are what are some of the uh, the changes that you've, um, you know, that that have been you know, apparent to you in, in how businesses look at at connecting industry and and the uh you know some of the, some of the enabling factors that are you know better that, that are necessary to you know to get get to get to outcomes well i mean i i think what's really going to be an enabling factor or what's happening is is is, is really network in, in, in these you know in the plant specifically if we're talking about industrial iot so this cat 3m network play could be very interesting. And if we think down the value chain a little bit more, and I know this is an interesting point for you is, is edge computing. So being able to use some, some hardware, if it's an Intel chip or whatever, that's just can do this kind of machine learning or AI and pump up a segment of that data instead of all of it to the cloud. And if we can get this kind of information pre-flowing with network and edge computing, then, you know, then that we can see some real power in the data. So there's a few things I think that's really shaping, but my sense that is like when I'm looking around at, you know, clearly how Amazon and Google and some of these people are, are, are allowing and opening up the cloud system and enabling the community, I see some things accelerating, you know, um, kind of under the radar that, you know, as Peter Diamandis and all these great guys are talking about exponential technologies and all of them converging at the same time, but they're coming now and um, I, I'm kind of excited to see how we, we shift it to the, uh, you know, the B2B sphere, the industrial sphere, um, and just new kind of services, X as a service um, emerging from it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, as people had initially thought about IoT, right, I mean, that was, uh, it, it was very much a consumer-driven uh, Concept that there were the you know the, the focus on home automation, connected appliances, and, and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, clearly, you know, we have had that. Um, you know, we we've, we've had a meaningful focus on uh, on key industries. I mean, you know, what what you know, in your view, have been some of the most important um, you know driving you know technological forces. And you and I are both. Uh, you and I are both fans of the uh, the work that uh, Singularity U is doing around exponentials, but we'd love to get your take on you know on on what you see as as really most kind of key key forces people need to be paying attention to. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think it's kind of the unconventional wisdom that that you and I like to kind of uncover. Um, I think there's a lot of enabling technologies that provide very interesting type of uh, patterns of information that could let us go to these new worlds of business models. But uh, it's not like this, the ecosystem is not, in my mind, quite, you know, hasn't 
sunk up together. You know, um, we have these data science solutions that are talking about models, but they don't really understand the subject matter expertise at which they're applying these models. So it, we really got to get, you know, this tribal knowledge of, of, of experts to help fuse, you know, this, as we hear all the time, IT and OT together to kind of have creative friction to deliver a model. But to be honest, Ed, I don't know what your opinion is, but in this last like six months, I've just seen a tsunami of machine learning and AI companies come out saying they're offering the same type of adjunct or agnostic analytic solution on top of any industry. And I, I think that we're getting to a point where we're focusing on the shiny object of uh, a precise prediction versus uh, radical or obsession with the customer journey. Because until we, you know, I, I just think the market will have to mature and there's going to be this period of, of business models that solve problems today and before we get to a totally connected or automated world. And so we have a decade to kind of bridge the gap. And I, I don't see too many people talking about that evolutionary road of a old, you know, aging kind of industrial maintenance worker and now we're enabling this tech and he's going to retire soon. And then we have a new generation coming in. Like, what is going to be the way where we, you know, that this is rolled out so we can get an ROI on all the investments these guys have been making? So I, I, I don't think people are kind of connecting the dots because the financial incentives with these huge companies, the big ones that you know has has kind of relied on a dealer network, which means they're away from the customer, which means they don't really understand the pain or have, you know, are really, um, you know, sympathetic to the customer journey enough to make it radically simple and put it in the background. So I'm kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm getting old and grumpy or I'm maturing or it's almost going from primitive to complex, as, as Ralph said in your, in your previous podcast, to actually simple. And I, I do agree with that statement. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting because I was uh, actually just had a conversation with, uh, with Rob Tiffany, and one of the points he was making is that uh, it, it does come back to this, this bright, shiny, ar- ar- bright, shiny object argument, right, that vendors get uh, enamored with new technologies, and uh, certainly you know, companies do. They, they, they want to be able to, to say that they... Yeah, you know, they can check off all the all the latest buzzwords, but the but the point he was making, and I think uh, the the subtext very much ties into um, the point you're making is that there's you know fundamental business value is is out there, it's ready to be captured, and it's and in many respects it's it's being overlooked by an obsession with the you know just you know having having uh, your feet in the pool of the most advanced technologies, even before they before they deliver value, is that uh, does does that kind of? No, it's exactly right. It's just like not focusing, you know. And I'm just stuck, or for lack of a better word, in the Midwest, having an interface with these people, so it's very apparent in my face. I don't know if my my view would be honed, or or or, or I would look at it differently from. A different part of the country, you know, because it's it's tech talk and product development and product release and then scale. But here, it's kind of like I, I'm, I'm having to, to to fight and think of value delivered, and it makes me it makes us think harder and more innovatively. But um, it's still, you know, you wonder who's going to emerge victorious out of this whole game. You know, the big big players. So. Um, I, I just like you, I'm fascinated by it. You know, how do we connect this community together? But I will tell you that I am more encouraged this year than I was last year. So I believe it's improving. Yeah. Who, who would you say, I mean, you know, in your experience, I mean, how have the conversations changed uh, when you, you know, when you're dealing with, with, uh, you know, skeptical conservative companies who have, you know, who have built biz- resilient businesses that have been around for a long time and you're, Pretty much where the rubber hits the road. How you know? How would you say that the conversation with, uh, you know, within companies is, has changed? You know, as it relates to, uh, you know, connected assets, newer technologies, but also the broader theme of digital transformation, which which seems to be the becoming the catch-all. 
Well, I mean, a lot of people just want to, you know, pick my brain on, on these things in, in a variety of either analytic solutions or, or ecosystem partners or interested friends and, and acquaintances like yourself. And I think people are now accepting it. And now we're getting into like kind of getting into the drawing board and what is a good PLC beyond the early adopters that just spent gobs of money and then kind of had, you know, mixed results. And we don't even know what kind of results we're actually expecting. You know, yes, we say cost. Yes, we say more efficiency. But how it's applied at that one specific point, I think, is sometimes lost. Um, so I do think it's like it's accepted. Now it's kind of like let's get down to the drawing board and really design out some use cases or some measures of success, which is it's tough. Yeah. yeah, you know, how would you? I mean, this is this is a, this is a broad question, but but how would you, uh, you know, how would you assess, you know, the capabilities of, uh, you know, established businesses? So, you know, we're talking about industrial businesses. Uh, it, you know, in in being able to effectively chart out a uh, a digitization strategy or a you know a strategy to to you know connect their businesses with. You know, potentially new business models and, and technologies. Uh, do they have the capabilities? Um, I, I, I think a lot of them don't. Um, it's just just been the evolution of their companies, and they don't have that digital DNA per se. You know, present because it, it wasn't needed, and it, it was actually kind of you know. Manufacturing, again, as I was saying, is conservative in nature. Don't deviate from the norm because you're trying to get throughput and efficiencies and processes are all baked in. And now we're coming in with all these different inventive ways to take data out, to play with it, to potentially interrupt, say things that are different, and they're just not equipped to kind of consume the kind of technology that we're throwing at them, you know, A. Or two, it might not be quite as valuable as we thought it was. So, um you know, I there's there's we're in an education phase of saying, hey, you have to think of having a hybrid, you know, ITOT role that is, you know, different from what you had yesteryear, and they're starting to think like that. And you know, some of them are solving specific pain points, Ed, you know, and trying to connect that one difficult asset up and start having data that was around that pain point now. That one connected asset is not, you know, um, economical for a big technology company to, to, to get the ROI that they want. But you have to understand that that's a proof point for these guys to move forward. So there's little experiments going on is, is the short way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, would you would you character? I mean, there's uh, there's been a lot of focus on uh, you know, predictive maintenance uh, or I, even prescriptive maintenance, but. Uh, you know, certainly one of the, the points that, uh, that that you made and, and we you know keep coming up is that a lot of you know a lot of machines or um, operations and businesses that have depended on you know very, sometimes multi-decade capital replacement cycles just have difficulty getting basic data about what's going on and and uh, you know are 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 you seeing any change in movement in terms of the you know the instru the instrumentation of, of you know some some legacy machines for instance well i mean all i deal with is legacy machines so this is the other phenomenon right so this is a great question like 70 percent of all industrial equipment is like world war ii age it's like you know so my 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 colleague and i were stuck at the airport last night he's like it's like a 1940s car you know when i go in there as a guy who used to run reliability engineering for, you know, a big company. Um, you know, he's like, was it's a 1940s car. Was it out in the garage or was it stored out, you know, and treated like, like junk, you know, and then we have to try to connect up this asset and start having a theory. And you have to think more, right? Ed? it's not just like here, here you connect it. There's vibration data. With that data, you'll see patterns. You better solve their problem and say, this is what this data is. This is what we think it'll yield. And tell me what you notice. And then we have to connect those dots. So it's it's a very slow, it's a game of inches, right? And, and, and you're trying to push these. And then eventually, you know, people are talking about how this, you know, information or resolution revolution, as they call it, the granularity of the data actually lines up with their tribal thinking and can be predictive. 
But the other issue is, is that, you know, people are putting on sensors that don't have the granularity necessary to actually give them any predictive analytics. They're kind of putting in energy bands or sensors that are really, they can't get the, the resolution required to give them any kind of 36 to 90 day, you know, predictive thing to make an adjustment. Because a big factory, as I understand, they can't just shut down on a dime, right? They need to schedule it in. And if the if the sensor data is not giving enough acuity to be able to sense these things enough in advance, but they're cheap, right, Ed? So they're like thirty bucks, or we'll do it on a on a SaaS model. But it, it, the, the reality is, it's not giving them that. So we're starting to see this kind of you know group of human, you know, people who did POCs come out and say, "I did it with those cheap ones, and it was it was a failure." So we're, we're learning from some of these failures, hopefully, and then moving on to a, you know, uh, because we don't, you, 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 they don't know the right business model or the investment, right? We don't know how much to, how much are they going to pay for this? What is value? If someone's going to, if an industrial company is going to change all their strategies based upon a connected strategy, they have to kind of have some barometer as to what success is or how much to invest. And we're not giving them quite the right answer, I think. I mean, it's a little scary for these guys. You know, you touched on a really interesting point that I hadn't heard before. And, and one of the one of the themes of conversations that, that we've been having over, over the last uh, you know, last couple of years is you know, why the IoT boom that I think a lot of people predicted in, say, 2013, 2014, you know, why that really didn't materialize, you know, to the extent that, you know, some of the more aggressive expectations, you know, had anticipated. Um, and, you know, then you get stuck in this you know, proof of concept loop. And I think you just hit on a really interesting point with this, uh, with with the idea that your the sensors were lacking in that you weren't getting the right data from the sensors, right? I think is in a sense there was um, when you just want to connect something that's cheap, you get data from it. That if you're not thoughtful about you know how the granularity or the um, you know, I would, I would say the you know the essentially how the the accuracy or the uh, <laughs> um, the scope of what you're measuring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and it and it seems like it's taken a while to figure out. I mean, what you know? Do you, do you think that uh, that the, some of these initial experiences have uh, you know have resulted in in lessons learned that that will make it? Uh, will make the next round of proof of concepts be better informed and, and have a better chance of success? Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, like, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I think it is because we've, we've had some of those failures. And, and look, the, the thing is, is that nobody has all this knowledge, right? The, the, you know, we, we're leveraging those sensors because they came out of the iPhone and they have been cheap, right? So we're using them saying we had vibration. But if you go to, there is a whole world of vibration analysts that have been, that took five levels of certification of, of waveforms and 100,000 data points per second. So like there is a domain of expertise that no one is leveraging. You know, they are like, they're on the sidelines. They have very expensive $250,000 diagnostic tools. And, you know, but people are just saying, I, I got a little sensor here between zero and a, and a thousand hertz. And then that guy's got like zero to 30,000 hertz to measure energy bands of like rotating equipment, such as ball bearings. And then you can tell if you're, you know, a certain sound is indicating a problem. So we're not like, I, I just don't know why you know, the technology groups haven't like in really, really kind of embraced those domains. Um, they just, they have those, those, those two groups are, haven't really met. There's a few groups that are trying to facilitate that communication. One you might know about is called Reliability Web. You know, they just did the IBM Maximo conference. Um, that's where I was at in Orlando, Florida. So it's, it's Maximo is an IBM product that is a computerized, you know, maintenance management service. So it's this like work order system that sits on top of SAP and is ubiquitous across many, many manufacturing organizations. And then, you know, so we need to take our sensor data and automate it to the work order. So um, we're trying to connect the dots to go, hey, we're not going to just let them look at descriptive analytics. 
we're going to let them, we're, we're going to integrate it all the way to, you know, telling them what to do with that problem asset. And it's just this massive chain of connecting the dots all the way down to the end that just, you have to have a passion for this stuff because it's not, it's not easy. Yeah, well, and it and it and it seems as well that it's it's uh, it is such a uh, you know, broad broad based or you know far reach uh, you know problem with such uh, extensive scope that it the only way that you can really you know accomplish uh, you know vision you know true connected vision is is by taking uh, you know each step in the chain uh, you know one by one. Yeah, and I don't think people are talking to those kind of people. I think they're talking to each other, so it's kind of a vacuum out there. You know, the ecosystem, the, the, it's like vendors talking to vendors. And I, I'm kind of like, why aren't we talking to the people that matter? If we want to accelerate it, we need to understand. So this gets to the point, again, who is touching the customer and who, who, who understands their pain. And those are usually these integrator type of, of organizations that are on the front lines, goal partners that are, that are, you know, interfacing between both that, that enabling technology as well as, you know, certain vertical solutions that they've always been servicing, you know, like industrial networking groups and they maintain those servers for decades and then they can understand how to place sensors or what their problems are. So, it's it's just it's 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 truly an ecosystem play, you know. When we we, we hear that time and time again, and I, I I couldn't I couldn't think of it any other way. Yeah, it's um it, it, truly it is. I mean, when you talk about it, it, uh, the need for interoperability and and cooperation across you know so many different stakeholders. Uh, yes, this, you know, the, the, the challenges of, 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 bring, of, of bringing some of these, uh, uh, as I, I, like, I like your analogy there of these, you know, World War II era automobiles that into, you know, into the, into the contemporary, you know, technology and preparing for the future. It, it, it requires a lot of different inputs and, uh, and involvement. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to turn the focus to, uh, analytics, AI, and machine learning, and yeah, I think your experience has got to be really helpful in, in uh, going, get you know, getting that uh, uh, immersion in, in data science. I mean, how you know how ha- have you seen the you know the evolution of some of the technologies? For one, that we've we've had uh, you know all the open source tools, the uh, you know the declining cost of of um, you know, some of the uh, storage options. You know, obviously, there's some very powerful databases and tools. Um, but you know, how, how do you how do you see the this proliferation of tools uh, being able to be applied? You know, appropriate with I say appropriate value add and appropriate uh, contextual uh, impact to you know to really ensure that the ind- you know that the industry and Certainly, the value that uh, that you know the customers see are able to move forward. Yeah, the, the, well, that's the this is a really interesting question because all these tools are available now, right? I mean, I noticed that you definitely get into the details of and that if you did a little bit of data science, like a couple classes, you would start like noodling around GitHub or Stack Overflow or these Azure platforms or, you know, Watson or AWS and start going, wow, you know, here's some tools and there's some data sets and, you know, (laughs) millions of people can start kind of playing around, right? I mean, that is just insane um, to me. And when you talk about resources, I know we, we always talk about great books or stuff like that. I mean, these massive online courses that have data science for free from the best guy that does machine learning, Andrew Ning on Coursera. Or, you know, and if you want a certification, you can pay 99 bucks. Otherwise, it's free. I mean, and then these tool sets are free from AWS or these places where you can have a sandbox and start playing. Contextually, yeah, how to add it? I mean, this is this is the great question of the day. And I think there's these vertical, these vertical kind of specialized companies. You know, you see them in oil and gas, these analytics companies that are going to solve a problem or two, and they will be scooped up by a big company. But 
Um, I'm, you know, I get the feeling like people that are solving those problems, leveraging some of those technologies are going to win in, in the long term because they just know context. But I'm meeting people that have no real sense of data science, even though they're doing types of data science, what they call relational databases, and they call it prediction or rules-based, but, you know, a couple more steps and they're doing machine learning, but they don't even know they are. So um, I just see a lot of cool people from all sides of the globe being able to develop solutions and context that, you know, and, and I don't know about you, but I feel there's a bunch of stuff going on in China beyond what we read about SoftBank beneath the surface that's probably incredibly interesting, you know, that we just haven't kind of been able to assess yet. Yeah, that's a, that, that touches on a really interesting point, which is that the, you know, the idea that you have you know, billions of minds that are coming online or are getting connected and empowered with these, these tools that are frankly getting easier and easier to use is, you know, is really unlocking some, some, you know, incredible potential. A lot of it we, we haven't, uh, you know, really haven't imagined yet, but, um, uh, but what's you know what happens as well is that you start to get the acceleration of of innovation, uh, which again starts to outpace the, um, in, you know the, the capture of value, <laughs> or the ability to generate value and, and and say blockchain right. There's a there's a perfect example, and and would love to get a sense of you know any converse you know what conversations you may be hearing around blockchain. I mean we're you know I'm here in New York. This is uh, ground zero for finance. It's uh, we've had this cryptomania, and a lot of folks in in fintech see uh, you know see crypto through the lens of 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 just another another asset to trade and uh, another way to automate back office processes. But you know, when you um, just just today there was an, an announcement by IBM and Maersk that they've got I think seventy eight companies in their consortium to develop a you know Providence blockchain. So you know how how are you how are people talking about it or thinking about blockchain? Uh, in you know, in practical ways, is, is is anybody actually you know playing around, or are any of the conservative companies you know playing around with the technology? In, in, in your knowledge, yeah, I think IBM and, and Maersk is a great example because it's just got that you know many participants in that shipping chain, right? And just all that paperwork, as as you can imagine, just being out of New York, right? You you know people that were in the shipping business or the the shipping you know. Um, you know, guys, right, that, that talk about all that stuff. I am seeing people talk about it, you know. I mean, we, we have this issue where we're really worried on one hand about cybersecurity, and, and this appears to be a way to have some kind of security. So, but I think there's a couple of, there's a couple of big holes that we have to fill with blockchain. Um, one is the use case and the, the computing power to be able to do it, even if it's a private, private blockchain. And like, I mean, between you and I, every time we hear something, there's a blockchain being hacked. So somehow the public perception has to get over the fact when you say it's it's decentralized and you can't hack a million computers, and then there's a guy hacking the computer and taking the money. I mean, I, I don't know. That just gives me a, a little bit of pause, even though I'm doing blockchain developer classes right now, you know, on IBM, and, and I'm very interested. So I'm not down on it, but uh, if we're going to use it, we got to make sure some of this stuff is baked. Yeah, no doubt. The uh, security issue is uh, is pretty unbelievable. I, I uh, um, <laughs> just tell you, it's, I mean, not, not so much about the, the trustworthiness of the uh, of the of the technology when you're when you're writing information to a blockchain, but uh, it, it certainly is a, uh, a space that uh, where you see the extremes of human nature, the both the best and worst of human nature. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So I mean, I'm keeping up with it, but I have a friend that has a legal tech company. You know, he has a patent technology. Um, he's a patent lawyer, one of the biggest patent lawyers in the country. And he developed a certain legal tech things to help with automated processes internally. Okay. And then now it's spun out as a legal tech company outside of his firm. And he wants blockchain. You know, people are thinking about blockchain for 
uh, looking at patent renewals. So it, it would be verified and trusted that the, that patent under a huge corporate patent portfolio, when people are searching for these things, is verified on the blockchain. So this is where, you know, Ed, you and I would probably never have thought of that. And then you hear it and you're like, wow, that's a great use case. But it was born out of industry, not out of a tech company. You know what I mean? This was born out of a tech savvy, growing, large legal office. You can imagine that. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is really remarkable. There, I mean, there are so many industries that are uh, just being rethought or reimagined right now with this idea of a distributed trust layer. But I think the you know the, the practical applications in industry still, I mean, are you know, super. We are super early on. Um, so I'd love to get you know get a sense of, of uh, you know your your view. You know, since you're you know since you you've got the um, you know the the uh, you know the conversations with with folks in manufacturing. Um, you know, are are there any technology hurdles or uh, enablers that you that you think may be underappreciated or conversely you know overhyped that you know people should either pay more attention to or uh, or or ignore. Yeah, I mean, on both sides of the fence. I mean, I mean, I would call this both a hurdle or an enabler, depending on how you look at it. Which is people, process, business case, user experience, and in, in, in the manufacturing world, to me, that means integration into their workflow. And um, so, those are both the hurdles and the enablers. And if we can get our thinking. Uh, you know, thought process around the art, you know, the art of the possible, but the skeptical, but really put an effort through to get it done. I think we're, we're on for a, a special ride, you know, the next couple of decades. Yeah. Any, uh, any particular industries that are, um, that, you know, that, that appeal to you or, uh, that you would regard as, you know, forward thinking or, uh, doing things the right way? Well, I think it's born out of necessity now. I mean, the stuff I'm reading about the auto, you know, auto industry is just really incredible, right? We have robotics, we have AI, we have electric, uh, we have the mobile entertainment system and the connected car and the um, driverless car all happening at the same time. I mean, and a changing, uh, you know, uh, millennial buyer group, right? That, 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 that look at the TV differently, you know, or the mobile entertainment system as the main component to buy as opposed to the engine. I mean, I, I, I think that is talk about connecting the dots. I think they are connecting the dots and the stuff I read is, is fascinating. Um, you know, still mobile, just mobility in general and, 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 and social and communication. And, and connecting to people, I think, are, are is still an amazing concept in this. What's coming up around the world and being able to communicate, you know, uh, just tells me solutions are going to come from all over the place. And I mean, I just, I, I, we see Germany. You know, we we often think of these big American companies, but we have we have this huge company that has prowess, money, and a, is a gigantic software company now, which is Siemens. We have. Asia than China that has been, you know, we know SoftBank billion dollar investments in data. Um, but like, I, I, I don't think we're really feeling how, how deep that goes. We, 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 you and I read it and we know it. Like, did you see that, um, those numbers about Alibaba with regards to his aunt, you know, his online lending with, um, Oh yeah. And financial it's, 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 it's really, Pretty. Um, I mean, the scope of what's happening in China is is just—it's uh, kind of mind-boggling how big these businesses are scaling. I mean, didn't that just happen like very radically, where he almost shook the entire financial? I mean, I ask you because you have that analyst background in that mind. Where I think it, I'm just reading it shook up the whole industry. But like, I think that was totally unintentional, right? He was trying to enable part of his supply chain or his 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 people, like his customers, to be able to buy stuff. And all of a sudden, it's I, I just see a lot of things mutating that we never thought of before from this hyperconnectivity. You know, well, that's an interesting point too. And and some of the uh, some of the conversations that I've had over you know over the years have uh, have really uh, brought that out. And I mean, one 
uh, conversation uh, about when it was about supply chain. Uh, ultimately, uh, this, this was uh, Disney uh, putting sensors on all their seafood because they wanted to reduce spoilage and uh, essentially uh, uh, you know, uh, avoid any liability of you know, serving uh, you know, tainted seafood that would make their, uh, their customers sick for, you know, for their restaurants down, in, uh, you know, down at Disney World. Turns out that that ended up having you know, enormous uh, financial benefits and efficiency. They dro- drove efficiency gains from a solution that was designed for, you know, for one purpose, yet the, you know, the real value serendipitously came out of really a whole, whole different aspect. And, uh, you know, what's, I mean, have you, have you, have you seen that play out on, on, on your side? Wow. Well, there is a local group here. I, you know, this is just a local company that I, that I know of that I talked with. Um, I, I can't well, not make it seem like it's me, but it's a company called restaurant technologies. They had a dumb product that did was like a vat for cooking oil. And then, you know, they wanted to do something different. So they, they were a manufacturer of this metal product and then they put a sensor on it. And then the sensor, uh, you know, was, it was for the, for the cooking oil for McDonald's, right? And it sensed when it needed to be changed. And then they did the delivery for all those, you know, for like a certain section of the country of the, uh, frying oil and the frying oil or whatever is the second highest cost after the protein. So it's very significant to the bottom line. And if it's managed and outsourced so they make this product and they monitor it and then they replenish. You know, so it went from these guys that did uh, a, a dumb product to trying to get provide more value for the cut for, for and I think it was born out of industry. I think it was born out of probably McDonald's and these guys saying, Can you do this? We don't even want to do this part anymore. So I, I think, it, like you were saying, it was serendipitous. I don't think it was necessarily planned, but we see these opportunities pop up, these anomalies in data science, and we have to be able to go, hey, that could be a, a watershed moment for us to be able to take advantage and look at the things differently. And um, so it's it's just, to me, that's the funnest, most interesting part is to watch what, what pops up out of this. Because it gives the little guy a chance at the end of the day, right? It gives a person who might have a good idea and work hard under a hyper-connected environment to be able to play in this space. Whereas in yesteryear, you know, it was all distribution. It was all channel domination and, and who had money or airwaves. But I think today it's different. That's an interesting point, this idea that you get real you know, real democratization of, uh, you know, technology and, and a way to level the playing field, as it were. It's, it's interesting that... I, a lot of uh, people in media initially thought that the that the internet would provide that long tail for you know for businesses to uh, in, particularly in digital media right uh, you know music and, and print that ultimately you'd be able to you know that, that everybody would be able to have a platform and of course what's happened is you've, you've ended up with this incredible concentration of these you know these big portals and these giants. Uh, now the the realities of, of companies that build and sell physical products is very different, and I think the you know the idea of potentially of creating experiences uh, from the products and and being able to build a you know a you know subscription revenues or database revenues from products and product expertise and and really unique uh, knowledge is is something that's quite different and would love to get your you know your perspective on you know what you know what makes you where where you're optimistic uh and you know where where you might be uh where you might have some concerns you know for the you know the the smaller companies out there well i get worried that people are not understanding what's kind of happening from a macroeconomic standpoint right uh whether it be the politicians and just kind of thinking automation or AI or just regulating and kind of thinking this is cutesy kind of Amazon stuff, which is now just a gigantic company and people kind of, um, you know, kind of making it into a international type of conversation where it's, it's automation or, or 
or Asia versus America. I think this is humanity progressing. It's 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 global macroeconomics, and uh, I think we got to embrace it because it's going to happen. And I get a little afraid for these people that are not kind of at least in touch with some technology because they could be displaced, you know, or their children could be displaced. So I, I worry about that. I think there's a little bit of blindness to what's going on in the general public. It, it's just labeled as gaming or Fortnite. You know, Fortnite is a gaming phenomenon because my, my nephew moved in with it. And they think it's cute, but it's like at the same time, that's captured like hundreds of millions of kids' attention for like dozens of hours a night. You know, I mean, this is a different world than, than it used to be. It is, and and and, uh, and you know, people are growing up in a in a different, uh, you know, a very you know, with very different context. Um, so, and I mean, that's really an interesting point is that like when you're talking about service business models, well, my my nephew who's 23 that moved in that's going to graduate school here in Minnesota, so he's staying with my my family and I. You know, he he doesn't care about ownership. He, he cares about results and, and service, the, the Uber business model. And that is going, that's just going to have an effect on, on how, you know, even the industrial plant, right? If, if they are not wanting to deal with data, well, the younger generation coming in will want to deal with data. So um, it's going to happen. It's just a question of when and how. Yeah, and, and of course, thinking about new, you know, certainly new business models, and uh, even even you know the generational changes in how uh, people think about work and think about their relationships to uh, you know to, to, to companies, you know, create a lot of a lot of issues as well. Any you know any thoughts on on the you know the talent side, the the skill sets that you see that are are going to be necessary for you know, for for success in the future. Well, I think McKinsey gets this pretty well spot on what they what they label as a data translator, which is kind of the, the, the path that I fell on, which is the person that does have an education in some of these advanced technologies, but it's not like coding behind the scene that can communicate business business needs into technical requirements and kind of product, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, project manage that, that these things to 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 the goal line or to fruition. I think software skills or encoding skills at some level um, are, are really important. I mean, there's just such a gap of, of these software development engineers that it's it's creating, you know, it's creating a new world of low code environments, right? I mean, people if with the lack, it's kind of funny because the lack of coders is driving low or light code environments for development. I think super coders are going to code coders out of business in some of these areas. So again, back to our point of all this cool machine learning tools and all this stuff. Well, as in the new book that you, that guy from University of Toronto, you know, AJ or Agarwal, you probably know this guy. If prediction and precision is is already if everybody's got high precision or prediction based upon artificial intelligence and, and machine learning, then the question becomes, what are you going to do with it, right? Because then if the tool and the precision, your data better be right or your business model or your you know ease of use better be good, in my mind, if that's going to be, if, if that world or that future comes to pass. So... <laughs> I mean, the more and more I think about it, Ed, the more and more I think it's got to be simple and, and, and has to think of the customer journey more and more, and, and the tech is in the background, you know? Yeah. No, that's, that, that's a great point. I think, um, yeah, I, I think you hit on it, right? It's the, uh, I mean, ultimately with the, with the mathematics, with the technology, it all comes back to solving the customer problems and, and essentially becoming transparent or invisible to, uh, to users is, and, and rather than, <laughs> rather than being this domain of, uh, you know, high priests or, you know, technical mandarins that, that, that <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, so, and I think these guys are bubbling up. I think they're bubbling up and they're making money, but you don't hear about them because they're busy doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. They're just knee deep and doing stuff. They're the people that you and I would want to talk to, want to learn from, um, but they're busy, you know, and good for them. 
Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, well, listen, it's been. Uh, I think we covered a uh, you know great a great amount of, uh, uh, of, of topics and, and insights, and uh, you know really really appreciate your uh, your thought your your thoughts and and, and, and input. Um, I always like to ask a question uh, of you know of all of our guests, which is on on the uh, on a book recommendation. If there's something that you would uh, they recommend to our listeners either a, you know, a book or resource. I got tons of books. I mean, this is how I, I learned in the last few years. I just consumed stuff. I'll give you a few books that I really like as of late. One is, is it by a guy named Travis Wright called Digital Sense. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, Travis, uh, he has the uh, he does a podcast with Joel. Yeah, he does the crypto podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Travis. Yeah, he's good. He's a he's. Uh, uh, we're actually connected on. Uh, I, I I see his Facebook feed all the time. So that's that's a great recommendation. I'll, uh, yeah, that's because it, it's it, he kind of weaves together you know marketing, customer experience, social business, social social media. So look, I mean that might not be everything to an IOT, you know, um, listener base, but there's a lot of lessons learned. I really liked, uh, the mathematical corporation by Josh Sullivan and Angela Z Tavern. Obviously the Peter Diamandis books, if you want to go a little heavier in AI, there's that, you know, prediction machines. And, but like as a resource to people that want to kind of look more, I mean, those, those edX or Coursera courses are, really open to people being free or, or, or very cheap. And I would encourage, you know, people that are of any age, because I went back for my second master's at 40 to, to go back because we're going to live longer and you're going to have to work longer with uh, social security. So there's no rule that says you have to be a lawyer ever since you graduate law school for the rest of your life. You know, you could, you could, you could participate in this world if you want. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's great input. I mean, I, I do think we are in a, uh, in an era where lifelong learning and, and the ability to change is, is, is really going to become a key, a core skill set. And, uh, those are, those, those are some great resources. So, well, listen, uh, Dan, it's been it's been great talking to you uh, again. This is Ed McGuire, uh, Insights Partner at uh, Momenta Partners, and we've been speaking with uh, Dan Yarmaluk, who's uh, Director of IoT for AETK Technologies. Uh, again, thank thanks everybody for listening. We'll we'll post the links in the show notes, and and Dan, thanks once again. Thank you very much, Ed. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Momenta Intelligent Edge podcast. We rely on feedback, comments, and input from our listeners. So please interact with us by going to our LinkedIn page, our Twitter accounts, or email us at edge at momenta.partners with any suggestions, guest ideas, or commentary. We really value your input and appreciate your listening. Thanks a lot. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner with Momenta Partners.